Okay, it's not every week you get to interview a celebrity on your podcast. And it's also not every week you get to interview someone who makes a really good bread that you keep stocked in your house. Today on the show, I interview Dave Dahl, the founder of Dave's Killer Bread. Dave talks about his younger days when he made choices that resulted in consequences in his adult life, his time in the military, his time in prison, the comeback, the selling of the company, and, of course, the organizations he works with today. Oh, yeah. And we do talk about the bread a little bit. Come on, let's do a background check. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead. Check my background. My name is J. Dan Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down. No. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Background Check Podcast, brought to you by Forgiven Felons. Helping people with a past realize their future. I'm your host, JDN Gum, and the founder of Forgiven Felons. Hey, if you need to know more about Forgiven Felons, you can check us out at forgivenfelons.org. There's also an application on the house page that you can download and send to your loved one who needs a transitional house when they parole. But it's North Texas Giving Day coming up in just a, less than two weeks, I believe, or right at two weeks, September 17th this year and we're having a rally like we did a couple years ago at the house and it's from 7 to 9 p.m obviously we will have masks for you if you need them or want them plenty of hand sanitizer and soap everywhere and uh we're going to also be screening people's temperature when they come in but we wanted to still have fun uh, and be safe at the same time so come on out you don't have to bring a thing we'll have all the drinks the food italian food we're gonna have awesome live music by terry fancher Good friend, prison minister, musician, has a great story himself. We're going to, in between the song, we're going to have some current and former testimonies. They're going to tell you how their life has been impacted by forgiven felons. Oh, and we're going to give away a car that night as well. Hey, listen, you can help us by spreading the word on that day. And even now, early giving is open. And you can give starting right now at northtexasgivingday.org slash forgiven felons. Or you can give right to our website, through the donation page, uh, we got a we got a matching fund dollar for dollar already lined up. A great company has done that, set that up for us. We'll be giving you more information about that, but that's a dollar for dollar match. Obviously, North Texas Giving Day is still giving their little bitty percentage on top of it. So you can give through their website. You can give from Forgiven Felons website. It doesn't matter. Uh, we do want to get that matching dollar campaign um, up. If so, if you know another company or if you want to add to that, right now it's at $3,000. So they're matching up to $3,000. So if you want to help with that, that's great. You could also create your own little fundraiser, uh, fun, F-U-N, all caps. Uh, and you could do that by going to North Texas Giving Day website and search for Forgiven Felons. And then when you get to our page, there'll be a little plus sign that says create your own fundraising link. And this is where you can, it's your own little link. You can describe the reasons you want to support Forgiven Felons and why you're helping raise money for us. And then people will give to Forgiven Felons through your link, and you can post that link on all your social media. 
There's people on your page that we may not be friends with that we may not be able to reach, but you'll be able to reach them. So it's a great way for us to all work together to try to raise money for the Resource Center. And our goal this year is $50,000. We believe that will help us get in there. So spread the word if you can. Again, early giving is open now. Everything given from now on uh, through North Texas Giving Day all goes towards our total. All right, so if you could be there that night, September 17th, 7 to 9, help us uh, celebrate the testimonies and the car giveaway. That would be great. If you can't, watch it live on Facebook, all right? So let's get to our interview. I am so excited about this interview today, and it was a really fun one. I think Dave was just chilling in his backyard when we did this interview. He takes us on his journey from his childhood all the way to the organizations that he's helping now. We talk a little bit about his battle with depression, suicidal thoughts, the selling of his company, and we just have some fun. So let's get to it. Dave Dahl, welcome to Background Check Podcast. Thanks for having me. Man, uh, I'm just going to be honest with you, man. This is probably one of my daughter's favorite uh, episodes, and she hasn't even heard it yet. I'm just, yeah. telling, I'm just telling you right now, man. Oh, we, man, that's pressure. That's we, so pressure. She's seven years old. And my six-year-old just knows that we eat good bread. We've been eating your bread for a long time, especially when I found out, you know, the story behind you. And then because what we do as well, we have two transitional houses for guys coming out of prison. And so we're always trying to find them jobs. And I saw, I guess, an article a long time ago, how you guys hire, you know, people with uh, backgrounds at your bakery. So, You've been in my in in my realm for a long time, and my seven year old daughter literally will not eat any other bread if it doesn't have if it doesn't have your picture on it. The guy, <laughs> the guy with the muscles and the ponytails—that's what she says. That's you know, cute. if you want to at any point at the end say hi to Jessa and Gemma. Those are my daughters, and they love you to death. You um, want me to say that toward the end, right? Huh? Sure. Any anytime, anytime you say it, they'd be happy. Well, hi, Jessa and Jen. You know, thank you so much for your support. Love you. Well, man, I'm just gonna I'm gonna get right into it. Like I said, I followed your story for a while, and and uh, but a lot of people, I guess it's about half and half. When I say, "Have you heard of Dave's Killer Bread?" Half you have, half has, and half hasn't. And mm -hmm. you know, and, and you can kind of split it down the middle with tell how they uh, take care of their body, whether they've heard of your bread or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. So tell us, just spend a little bit, and then we'll. I ask, I'll ask some specific questions about, you know, how you're giving back and different things you're doing now. But tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up. I've listened to your story, so I already know it. So just tell us, you know, growing up, and then where it all went wrong for you. I grew up in a religious family. Um, except the Adventist, not that it matters really so much which one it was, but I went to school, you know, I was, I had a very, um, deep involvement with religion and I went to the Seventh-day Adventist schools and, uh, you know, Seventh-day Adventist church and it was like we prayed all the time and then I would go home, uh, when I was nine years old, I started working in the family bakery. Okay. So, that was, uh, you know, all that stuff seems okay. But at the time, um, you know, it got worse and worse for me. I just started going, well, I don't believe this. You know, I don't believe what I'm being told, what I'm being taught. And so I don't really know what it is that, 
yeah, you know, who I am, you know. Yeah. And I went out and started to try to figure that out. And that led to eventually, you know, I had low self-esteem, depression. That led to drug addiction for me, you know, one drug after another. I finally discovered one that I really liked, and that was methamphetamine. So I was in my early 20s by the time I discovered that. And uh, it just led to criminality and, uh, you know, drug addiction, criminality, and, uh, and prison. How many uh, siblings do you have? I have three. And uh, one took his own life uh, a few years back. Okay. The, yeah, so I have a brother and a sister now. Gotcha. And were, were you like me where you were like the only one that was really as a child and teenager kind of veering off the path or, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and uh, did Man. you ever feel any pressure because they were so good and you were so bad? Well, I, I would always look back and go, why did this happen to me? But, uh, you know, for a long time, I was a victim. And, you know, it's, the bottom line is I made my choices. The choices that I made actually made me who I am. So I don't, I certainly don't look at it, at it like that now. That's good. That's good. Now, when I got out of prison 14 and a half years ago, my first job was at a bakery. <laughs> and... Well, it didn't last too long. <laughs> yeah, and this was your first job. Uh, you haven't been to prison since? Uh, no, I've, I've been out 14 and a half years, and I haven't yeah. gone back, haven't looked back, and I've helped a lot of guys get out and stay out as well. But, but that, bakery, bakery uh, life didn't agree with you that much? You know. <laughs> or you I, had a better opportunity? Well, I, I'll say this. Um, I, I'm a 100% guy, so I'm going to go all in whatever I do. Yeah, and yeah. and it was the first job offered to me. So I thought, all right, well, this is the first job offered to me and it's probably going to be hard for me to get a job. So I'll just take it. And I took it. I was very grateful. They were friends. They, I didn't really know them before that, but they went to church with us and it was a mom and daughter and they ran a, a tip top bakery. You know, they, they did cakes and, and sandwiches and soups and they had a little restaurant in front and all that. And they, so I was in back, very small back room. Okay. And very cramped wall to wall, ceiling to floor, ingredients everywhere. And I did pretty good the first week. So much so they're like, hey, we're going to take you off hourly and put you on salary. And I, it was great. I was like, all right, perfect. I must be doing a great job. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, man, things went downhill from there. Um, it was like I had burn marks all over my arm because there was really skinny – areas to pull things out of the no i know so I was, i've experienced these yes and then one day uh one day i was mixing some buttercream icing and i called my little friend that was helping me she was always there helping me i said hey this icing doesn't look right and she said well yeah it doesn't and i mean i i haven't been working that long but i knew what buttercream icing was supposed to look like after it's been mixing up and so she's like yeah. so where did people you make mistakes she said what did anyway. you put she said what'd you put in it and i said well i mean you know powdered sugar and she said where'd you get the powdered sugar i said right over there she goes oh that's flour ah. <laughs> well wait it could be worse but go ahead <laughs> so i i messed up a lot that that batch of icing i think was for about 10 expensive wedding cakes and yeah. uh so we had to start all over but but that was my that was my first job, and it just the manager and I mutually agreed that it was better for her business and myself that I did not work there. 
So, wow. so okay, you sp- you spiraled out of control. You found drugs. I have to admit, I liked meth as well when I discovered meth. But uh, I was also an alcoholic. Jack Daniels was my favorite drink. I got yeah. him tat- got him tattooed on my left arm. And no, yeah, no, uh, no controversy there. I I have to say that. If I didn't like Jack Daniels so much, I probably would have been strung out on methamphetamines. Yeah. Because I liked the taste of Jack, and I couldn't taste it when I was on meth. Yeah, and you don't really get that buzz either. When you're on yeah. You know, the buzz is the meth buzz. So you're in your early 20s, low self-esteem. Yeah. You found meth. What, what's your life look like right there? You, you joined the Marines at one point, right? I did. But uh, that was... That didn't work out so well. Yeah, because <laughs> you you were you were trying to run away, right? Well, I was becoming. I was getting into a pattern of running away from one thing to the next, hoping the next thing would be better than the last, right? Yeah. And the Marine Corps was one of those things I ran to because I saw my buddy, who never really had a serious. Uh, substance abuse or criminal problem right but he had problems like i had when i was we were kids he just for him the the marines was the answer you know right uh for me i was like i'll follow this guy and and it'll be my answer too and it wasn't you know for several reasons i mean i just wasn't him right you know, i had i had bad acne and all this stuff and i started fighting uh, I did. I worked. I worked really hard at it and stuff. But I was picked on so bad by the by the drill instructors that I one day I finally just decided to take off. And you know that was the beginning of the end of my uh, Marine Corps trip. And then and then where'd you go from there? You got you got it all. Well, you got your life together after that, or yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't think I even came close to getting my 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 life right. But I started thinking I maybe could. You know, I always thought, hey, I could get my my life right. So maybe this girl I meet, you know, could be the the answer. You know? Right. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, we had a good we had a good child. We had a good baby, great baby. She's grown up. Uh, she's a great great daughter. Was a granddaughter of mine. She lives in Sweden. But at the time, uh, it was just beautiful. Uh, you know, just beautiful stupidity. Um, the first, it, it always it was like, okay, let's try this, and yeah. it didn't work out. And so, and that, that that marriage, how long did that last? It lasted three and a half years, technically, but I think it was over after two. You know, um, it just wasn't meant to be. And so, here I am in my early twenties, and I'm so depressed and miserable. Um, so that leads me to the next stage which is methamphetamines you know when the first time i shot that hit a meth in my arm i was like okay this is i'm a transformed man you know i got this now i noticed uh i i've listened to some some of your other interviews and you said meth made you forget things forget it made me forget the things that were bothering me Right, you know the things that were really killing me. Um, you know, I, I was I was like so suicidal anyway. Like, what the hell difference does it make to to put a needle in my arm? And once I did that, it was the first time I did meth, and the first time I put a needle in my arm, same time. 
And I was just like, wow, this is, this is it. This is it. I, I found myself. Yeah. That was, that was absolutely wrong. But I'll tell you what, it's the first time I realized that you could actually, I saw it happen with my buddy when, when he went in the Marine Corps, had the transformation that happened. But um, it was the first time that I'd actually experienced a personal transformation myself. And it, it was all due to that hit of meth. Wow. So I started thinking, you know, you can actually do something with your life. So I think eventually the mindset, um, I kept searching maybe in the back of my mind and my heart for this uh, transformation that would be real. Yeah. So how did you finally end up in, I'm, I'm assuming that that just that lifestyle over and over again, sure. day in, day out, finally led you to um, commit the crime that landed you in prison. Well, the, the math was, perfect for uh, getting me in a, in a life of crime. I was working in the bakery with my brother and stuff because my dad had the bakery. But, you know, I didn't fit in after a while and there really wasn't enough money in it to keep my habit going and everything else. You know, I, I started doing little little stuff like jockey boxing, um, getting into cars and taking stereos. Little stuff, little petty, petty thievery. Yeah. Um, cause I, I was running with a different crowd now, you know, I didn't really have a crowd anyway. It was like a, just a, a new group of people that was teaching me new bad things. Right. And so I went out and, uh, uh, you know, first it was jockey boxing, uh, then it was burglary. And so my first time in prison was for burglary. I was, I burglarized houses. I burglarized a few uh, businesses and I got busted for a, a Burglarizing uh, some old, some house. So, what was prison life? Uh, so, you were how old then when you first went into prison? Mid twenties. Uh, yeah, mid twenties. Yeah. What was that like for you? Um, uh, I always felt once I got started in that lifestyle, I always thought you know whatever that's going to be is going to be okay because I need something. It doesn't matter what it is to change my life and. Uh, I went in there, it was it was not fun, but you know, it was short. It was a short period of time. I got sentenced to seven years, did nine months or so, or le less than nine months. So um, it wasn't a real, it was like a slap on the wrist the first time. Right. So not enough to even make you change some ways then? Uh, not at all. I was like, in, at that point, Methamphetamine is the only thing that made me feel okay. So. Gotcha. So how how long did you do in prison, accumulatively, all your whole time? A uh, total of fifteen years. Fifteen years over four over four stretches. Uh, for what was the longest time? The longest stretch you spent? Longest stretch was uh, seventy eight months. It was my last time. I got sentenced to one hundred and eighteen, and I did uh, seventy eight. All right. And so when were you done? What year were you done with all your prison time? Got out late 2004, like January, uh, December 2004. Okay. And then, and then is that when you kind of got back into the bakery and began to really have the vision for Dave's Killer Bread? Yeah, well, I didn't have a vision for Dave's Killer Bread while I was in prison, but I did have uh, a great trans, another, I had my final great transformation 
which was, you know, um, I was suicidal and I was like, you know, take me out, whatever. And I get, that's a long story, but I, I finally, after a lot of suffering, um, put in a kite to psych services and asked for help. And uh, that was a big deal because I knew everybody, I didn't want everybody to know that I was a weak little right. bitch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's true. You it, cannot show weakness in prison for sure. That's right. Uh, and but then it was so freeing when I put the kite in the box. Was that hard for you? Your pride? Very hard. Yeah. It took me. It took me at least a year of riding these kites okay. before I actually put one in. Wow. And uh, when I did, it was like as soon as I dropped it in, I'm like, oh god, I did it. You know, it's like this great thing I just did. <laughs> and uh, I don't remember how long it was before I saw the nurse practitioner or whatever nurses physician's assistant person that i that i saw who was able to prescribe this med for me and the med and you know i didn't tell him that i was suicidal you don't do that I, that's one thing i wasn't going to do right but i told him i was i was struggling and uh, depressed and he gave me these meds and i did not know that medication could be so helpful for me you know and so it did actually help me but it was only part of the equation I went to, I was so fortunate to get it. I'd been on a list for drafting, to get in this computer-aided drafting program for over three years. Uh, and I had no idea what that even meant. That's how, you know, how lame I was. Right. And I, and I uh, got into this program right after I started taking these meds. And the whole combination of things with the, you know, the humility of dropping the kite in the box, the uh, the drug itself, and then the uh, opportunity to go to school. It just changed everything for me. Right. So uh, that was what led to my ability a few years later to be able to you know work with a family and create Dave's Kitchen Bread. Gotcha. So, what were the what were the what was school like? What was classes like in prison? Were they were they really? Uh kind of shoddy or were they real well put together or they kind of shoddy yeah <laughs> but the thing is if you apply yourself to something uh you got a book you got you got a computer you start seeing the opportunities of the or, you know the power of, of what you can do right you don't really need anybody else to help you with that that's so you good so, yeah so so now you you get out are you on parole or did you a uh, long way discharge no, I had 36, 36 okay. months uh, post-prison. I think I got off after 24 because okay. I was just such a good boy. You know, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have time to get in trouble. I was working so hard, man, and I loved every minute. And so you went right back? You went to the bakery? Uh, I did, yeah. I mean, I had the opportunity to go right back to the bakery. My brother uh, had seen a change in me, you know, and he wanted to give me a chance. And so I went to work at 12 bucks an hour, um, filling in for people. And Man, that's awesome. Yeah, I loved it. It's just, I can't tell you. And I worked, I lived at my mom's, in my mom's garage. You know, not everybody even has that opportunity, no. right? So I had that. And, you know, I was grateful for that, living in that garage. It was better than any cell I was ever. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. It's, yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Yes. All right. So your brother gave you a chance, a second chance. Now that that's pretty amazing because 
family, they know us better than anything and anybody. Yeah. And they've seen us come in and out. They've probably rolled their eyes many times at us when, when we say, Oh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to change or it's different this time or whatever. And so the fact that he gave you that chance at that, at that moment was pretty, was pretty neat. So it um, was. I, I know that you came out with your very first Dave's killer bread video in 2006. So between yeah. the time you got out and that, that first video, what all transpired? How did the, how'd you go from $12 an hour filling in for people to, you know, the name, the namesake of the company? Well, it was funny because, you know, we, we didn't see, you didn't see that coming, you know, you just working your ass off and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're creating products. You're thinking that it's going to make a difference in your company. And it's going to give you an opportunity to make a good living and whatever. Uh, so I was working on, you know, I would work for 40 hours a week, maybe give or take uh, on the clock. And then I would work another 20, 30 hours a week developing recipes. That's, some, that's a good lesson to learn. Sometimes yes. you have to you have to make your own initiative yourself. You don't, it, somebody else doesn't tell you, you know, how to uh, make your way. And, uh, but I worked with my brother on, you know, the vision of what we could do and, uh, took everything that he, every, uh, bit of, uh, advice and, you know, guidance that he could give me about what was necessary, what we needed and what we were capable of. And so, I, go ahead. Yeah. So, so you're taking his advice, but at any point did he feel have, you know, hesitation or reservations about anything you were wanting to do? Well, he, he had reservations about my personality. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, I had kind of a cowboy personality. I was in always do things the way I should have. Uh, but I was, I did things the way I thought I should do them. And so, and I was also humble that, you know, it didn't come across that way. I was just very focused. Yeah. And so uh, once he set me on a path or said, hey, look, we need this, then I didn't really want to be bothered too much. Right. And so there was a lot of a strife, a lot of, um, a lot of friction. And then his son got out of prison, or not prison, his son got out of uh, school. Yeah. You know, he finished uh, with honors and economy from a prestigious Oregon University. And uh, I mean, he was a, a great, he, he had accomplished a lot as a kid. Right. And he gets out and he sees his uncle, this guy, this, this felon, you know, coming out of prison, um, always been a knucklehead, all the bad stories about me. And I'm already making strides in this company that he thought was going to be his company. Oh, you know? oh, yeah. so, so we worked together. We did work together uh, as, a, as a team, but it was challenging. Yeah. A little, probably a little animosity. Lots of animosity. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so how did you go from you're working through all that, the recipes, the everything, and then how did y'all decide on the new name of the company? Well, we, it, it all happens kind of by, you know, because it has to, yeah. uh, nature bake was a dying brand. It wasn't, it was never really a great strong brand. Uh, but my brother had been very, you know, reasonably successful with private label products. And, uh, in other words, uh, co-manufacturing for Trader Joe's in this case. Yeah. And that was, he was very, he got, it was fairly lucrative for him to do that. Not, not like over the top, but it was, it was keeping the business going. Yeah. 
we're coming in after a little while, Dave's Killer Bread, after Dave's Killer Bread had been going for a year or so, we started seeing that we're going to need the production space. We got to get rid of this private label crap, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And we kept, we kept trying to keep that, that nature bake alive, but um, we, just, we weren't successful at that. Gotcha. Dave's Killer Bread just kind of took over like a monster. Wow. So it was actually a separate entity, uh, not just the name, change the name of the company. Right. Uh, it never was a change. It was a new brand. Gotcha. Like Nature Bake gotcha. was actually, Nature Bake was actually a brand. Dave's Killer Bread was a new brand and it was just uh, incredibly successful. Yeah. And it still is. And you, and now your, your name and, and muscular physique is on, uh, all the, all the bread, uh, labels. <laughs> and uh that's and, a good story that's even just that part's a good story but yeah anyway, go ahead. tell i want to hear it tell me tell me oh about it. Real, real quick uh you know when i was working on logos I, there was all this i was so engaged I, I worked back in those days we had a logo for every variety and i worked on a logo with everyone i would draw an original idea sometimes and sometimes i would just give the idea to somebody uh but i basically drew the original idea for the dave's killer bread logo okay and uh uh, the idea was, you know, this guy is me representing me uh, with his guitar paint, you know, painted on the side of a wall on the wall with Dave's bread in big block letters there. And then somebody comes along with a red spray paint can and tags killer over the top of that. Wow. And that was what that logo was supposed to be. But I didn't know the science of doing logos i was <laughs> yeah a logo has got to be fairly simple and straight you know and uh so i i i did a lot of it's 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 actually a chapter of the book itself but uh and i remember the guy who i who i was able to hire and i didn't give him hardly anything because i didn't have anything to give him right right Money right right we're very low budget and uh but he was a uh, a cartoonist, illustrator for Willamette Week here in Portland. And he didn't have much money, so he was taking anything he could get. And he, he killed it, but it took like a month or two of me just constantly coming back to him and saying, make my arms bigger, dude. You know, <laughs> quit making me so ugly. And make my arms bigger. <laughs> okay, bigger. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm paying you 250 I Come love on, it. Man. I love it. <laughs> That's essentially how that logo came about. Man, that is great. That is yeah. really good. I love that. That's a great story. <laughs> great story. So, uh, and after that, it was just a fairy tale, happy, happy-go-lucky life. You've been on the oh, yeah. path ever since then, right? No bumps oh, in hell. the road. No bumps in no. the road. No, not a single bump. It's just all smooth sailing, baby. Yeah. So maybe a little fame or a little little booming in the business, and. You know, <sighs> What, what happened after that? Anything? Fame, fame, is, uh, fame and success, uh, financial success. Uh, you know, you work really hard and you're successful from it. You know, it's, it's cool when you do something and it, it rewards you. Uh, but, you know, it isn't good when it goes to your head. Or, you know, I, I was out speaking and doing many, many things in those days. Uh, promoting the product and so forth. And I mean, I, it really started, I really started thinking my, I was a pretty good guy. You know, I was pretty yeah. special. Right. <laughs> Even though I didn't, <laughs> I tried not to act that way. I felt yeah. like, man, I, look at me, you know. <laughs> and uh, 
so you know, I was drinking because yeah, I was celebrating, and I would go. I wasn't hiding my drinking. I was, right. I wasn't doing the other drugs, and I was drinking with uh, folks in uh, all these events that we were doing and stuff. And everybody knew I drank, uh, but you know, for a long time it wasn't a really big deal. But then after a while, I just got more. The more success I got, the more uh, I had a driver. You know, <laughs> all these things going on where it was easy for me just to drink. Oh yeah. Uh, and so one one thing led to another, and uh, uh, a lot of little things happened. To make a long story short, because you know this is a long story, um, I would skip to the part where I had gone through treatment. I had gone through, you know, famous mishaps, terrible things happened. People were um, accusing me of murder and, you know, all those guys. Oh, it's Dave's wow. killer bread. Well, Dave, Dave's a killer, right? You know, how do you, <laughs> how do you go, how do you go from Dave's killer bread to he's a killer? I mean, but anyway, uh, so finally in 2013, late 2013, um, I had been clean for October for maybe six weeks, according to my girlfriend, my wife now. She says it was about six weeks. Yeah. And that was when um, I had a manic breakdown. And mm. I, as I'd always had an issue with mental health, I just didn't know anything about mania. Right. Uh, but I had a, it's a bipolar incident. And um, that in itself was another chapter. But it was, there was a lot of pressures that, that come with success and transitions and uh, transitions of power and uh, losing your baby hmm. because that was really my baby, you know? Yeah. Uh, so um, there's a lot of, lot of stressors. And finally, uh, I just had a breakdown one day and I didn't, I wasn't like aggressive and trying to hurt anybody, but one thing led to another and one reaction caused another reaction. And, uh, I ended up in jail and ended up uh, a mental patient. Hmm. How do you battle that on a day-to-day -day basis? I just stay aware of it. I, 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 it's all about staying, staying structured. Yeah. It's about staying with um, things that, you know, with, with purpose and, you know, the things that got me to where I got, where, where I was successful. Those things are something that I try to, continue to strive for okay you know i have a lot of things to keep me busy nowadays it's like get up in the morning you know go take care of this property that um car that you know this this business whatever i'm doing and uh i have to keep on top of those yeah all right so i mean you have you you sold the company right to that 2015. Okay. Yeah. So now since then, uh, now do you still have ties? Like, did you say, Hey, I need y'all to still make sure that you keep up this or did you just cut ties all together? Or is there, was there like a thing where you said, look, you've got, if my name's going to be on it, you've got to always, always do this. I, by the time of 2015, I wasn't really in a position to, to be um, asking for stuff, but right. I was just kind of like transitioning now. I was kind of upset that they didn't, that they kind of changed everything after I left. I just wasn't in a position to do anything anymore. Uh, I just started refocusing on other things. Gotcha. 
Now, those other things is what I want to talk about now. Uh, I read somewhere, are you working with a company called Nucleus and trying to get some uh, yeah. tablet curriculum in the prisons in California, stuff like that? Tell us about that. Yeah, I think that's a pretty cool thing, man. Uh, I've invested a little bit of money into this company called Nucleus. And, um, of course, the COVID thing came along at a terrible time. But it might actually be an advantage for Nucleus. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, getting that curriculum, you know, because, you know, curriculum is what – school is what changed my life. Right. Uh, along with other, a few other things. Uh, but the opportunity for education is crucial. For, for folks and uh, so we're providing that opportunity for, for folks to, um, to to be able to get it easier and make it easier on the system and on, uh, on you know because now it's like very piecemeal how you get something how you get curriculum in the, in the prison oh yeah so, so and now if you, and this, if you transfer units and if you transfer units what you learned on one unit or took on one unit might be lost at the next unit. That's very true. That's very true. It's just hard to get back into that other unit, you know, where you were. Yeah. So I, I've been through, you know, a lot. Of, I, yeah. I got a lot. I got another bunch of stories to tell about that, but uh, it blows me away when you bring up something. Cause you are a guy who uh, has done time. So you bring up a little story, a little subject that I'm like, Oh man, like, that's, that's a whole nother three or four chapters. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, man, uh, you know, at the end, when we close in a little bit, I'm going to, I want to make sure we get all the information with, you know, about uh, your book. We're going to put on the show notes on the website uh, podcast page. We'll put all your website. Um, there's also, is there a documentary that was done about you a while back? Everything is uh, so much in progress, in process, in various stages of being produced and all that. Uh, I could spend a whole lot of time just making a list of the things. But yeah. the book you're talking about, I think, is um, a book I wrote back in 2008. And it was just a memoir of what I had done up to that point. Okay. It's hard to even find that book. It's not, it's not being printed or anything. All right. Um, you got to you, write another one? Oh yeah, yeah. When the um, when I find the right ghostwriter, because I need somebody. I'm a good writer, but I need somebody to pull it out of me. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like we're sitting here right here. For me to just write what we're talking about out is not easy. You know, man. I'm but, telling you, I'll I'll go I'll go speak at places and talk, and it just comes easy talking about right. it and, and sharing my story. And then people come back and say, hey, you, you should really write a book. And then I try to sit down and write. And it's just like I try to write the way I speak on stage. And it just doesn't work. It Drive doesn't block. work. Yeah, it's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's absolutely true. And so, yeah, I think it's going to happen when the time is right. Uh, Tell me I about, have, let's talk about constructing hope. Oh, that's that, my favorite. My favorite man, that, I'm telling you, man, when we try to help guys find jobs and we try to connect with companies. Some companies are just so scared to give people second chances. Uh, yeah. You know, we're, 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 you know, makes sense. We're, yeah. we're starting to do a resource center. Uh, that's our next phase. Uh, we're going to jump from housing to a resource center. That's going to have vocational training, welding, paint and body, uh, auto mechanics, uh, all kinds of classes, financial literacy, recovery classes as well. Job readiness classes, OSHA. I training. love that. OSHA training on all the equipment. So yeah. 
but I, when I when I read about constructing hope, it really brings me joy. So tell everybody about what constructing hope is and how you guys partner with that. I really want people to whoever's listening to this. I would really like you to go and check out constructinghope.org. Uh, to see what they're doing. They're not the only organization in the country that's done it, but uh, they are amazing. They've been around for like 20 years. I was introduced to them a couple of years back and uh, I'm just blown away. And I'm like, how am I going to get involved? How can I get involved in this? Because it's like, uh, like this is what changed my life. Yeah. It happened yeah. to me that it was a trade. In my case, it was drafting, but it could have been, you know, in, anything especially in construction who that would have just made me feel um useful and uh, excited about life not everybody that's not for everybody but that's uh it, there's a lot of people who can benefit from learning to trade yeah and so um that's what they do they teach people the trades they do it in, in a holistic way they do it not just that you know they they they've operated on such limited budget for so long um and they operate via you know concern and care and actual passion for the people and so these are guys and girls that have been um in trouble most for a lot of, a lot of time but definitely they're all low income right and this gives them something uh that actually can transform lives and they've had super success i'm talking in the 90s 90 percentile plus Wow. Of success. People getting jobs, having futures, and then they stay with them afterwards. They kind of like, you know, follow through with them uh, because they care about each individual that comes to the program. So uh, this to me is heartwarming. Um, and to be a part of it, I, I recently gave them, uh, not to toot my own horn, but I gave them 100K because, That's awesome. because of the COVID situation. Oh, yeah. uh, and because of COVID, they couldn't get, due to lack of participation, you can't get participation in COVID, they lost uh, their grants. And in order for them just to keep going, uh, they needed help. And so I happened to be in the right place at the right time to help them out. And then we were able to raise 250000 because of that 100000 Wow, so, that's good. So it was like a matching yeah. grant, a matching fund. Yeah, got that, people going. Yeah, man, that is awesome. I noticed uh, on that documentary that was made, uh, uh, I think it was made several years ago, uh, Joe Coppoletta was the um, director. Yep. You know him? I, I, you I, don't I, know him, do you? Yes. <laughs> Are you kidding me? He directed some episodes of Walker, Texas Rangers. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, that was filmed here in Dallas. And I was an, I was an extra every, wow. every single episode. And so his, Small his, world. his sister, uh, Go, went to our church and so yeah. so that's how we you know she's like hey you work for walking but joe coppoletta he's one of the directors he you know he's my brother and so so i got to meet him i got to work i, I did so many episodes with walker texas ranger and wow. I, I got i was mostly just extra but yeah. there was one episode where i was my face was so familiar that one of the fight guys for a big fight scene didn't show up and so the, the stunt director, the fight director, went to the extras casting director and said, hey, do you have any extras here that would be able to handle a fight scene? And so they said, sure, Jaden Gum, he could do it. Yeah. So, so I went over there and I'm sitting there with Chuck. I'm sitting there with his two sons, Eric and Mike. 
Norris. And they, and then they, there's like several other like highly paid fight, fight guys, stunt guys. And I'm just, and I'm big, I'm bigger than most of them, but right. uh, so inexperienced is that they start going through the fight and they're like, all right, Jay, you're going to be here. Choreographing it. Yeah, we and, and it was so it was it was really neat. They just made me feel like I was part of the part of the stunt team. And we start talking about Chuck Norris's uh back then he had a little uh male shampoo hairline called kick. And so yeah. you, you all used to see it on like late night infomercial. But uh but no, it it was fun. So I, anyway, I, I just I, I saw when I was looking at your documentary, I saw that it was uh done by Joe Coppoletta, and so I thought that was interesting. So that's cool. So. That is a trip, yeah. Joe is actually being is involved in uh, the in getting this documentary off the ground. So that's why great guy, great family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me ask he's you, a, hey, no, he's go a ahead, local go ahead. guy. Okay. I just say yeah. he's a local guy. So, so anyway. constructing hope. Do they have anything that they do inside the prisons? Like, do they are they inside the prison and and, and start? Not there? yet. Not yet. Not yet. That's kind of like the next uh, next phase. They've been because they've been so limited. They haven't been able to grow. You know, they've been so focused on what they do that they haven't focused on marketing, haven't focused on expansion, new ideas. They've just been like this is like a church group trying to right, right. help help people. And uh, I came in and I started you know pushing for growth and pushing for marketing and yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, uh, these guys, and they're very grateful for that, but you know, it, it puts, um, it puts a lot of, it takes a lot of effort to do that. And they yeah. haven't got into the prisons yet. I know they want to, I know yeah. I want them to. That's cool. That's cool. Well, man, Dave, I, I won't take up any more of your time and you have just been amazing. You've answered all my questions. I do have one more question. Do you think, uh, Maybe if I come to Oregon one time, we can we can hook up and have a have a, have a lunch together. Hell yeah! All right, man. Absolutely. Uh, all right, one more. Can you go take care of that nonsense that's happening in your state in in uh, the Portland area? Oh, oh <laughs> man! So you must know. You must know. I I don't feel that stuff, right? Yeah, uh, I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> most uh, of most know, of the country is not feeling that. Right. Last night I went down to the protest. And I uh, spent two hours down there in the early part. Not the, It started getting a little crazier, and I was tired. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be there for the crazy part. So naturally, I mean, because I want to do some research. I want right. to know what I can what I can be a part of, what I, yeah. I can help. Uh, but it's going to take – I just can't act until I know better, you know, yeah. what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Well, you be right. careful. I, I was when glad you, to hear that. Yeah, when you go down there, be careful, man. Uh, uh, yeah. I know there's a lot of – a lot of things going on in their country, in our country, and a lot of people, a lot of people, um, we just, we just need to be more sensitive and empathetic to, to the people that hurt in our nation, I think. I think you're so right, man. I think that we have to not come across as harsh or, you know, too judgmental about some of these jackasses, right? Yeah. Uh, and just more like, okay, wait a minute. We're going to have these these spoiled, rotten jackasses we got to deal with. But we have to be caring about the people who are suffering. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. All right, buddy. Hey, hey thanks again. You're amazing. Uh, and I'm glad for all you're doing with Constructing Hope and Nucleus. And keep in touch, bud. All right. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow, what a great episode. 
and it was an honor and privilege to get to hang out with Dave and just hear his story, you know, up close and personal. I've always known about it when I first heard about it, and I really enjoyed the fact that he hired people that were coming out of prison, you know, on parole, probation, and giving them a second chance. And it's sad to hear that some some things that he's implemented his own company has been taken away. But you know what? What's, what's really neat is throughout that whole interview, you heard one common theme is that he always, he always seemed to own up to the decisions he made. You know, he, he admitted the decisions he made were, were, were the reason he was the man that he was at one point in his life. And, you know, even to the, to the end of selling the company, you know, he knew he wasn't in a, in a spot to negotiate a, a better deal you know, or, or negotiate anything or tell them how they're going to run his company even after he sold it because of some of his actions. And But, man, I just have so much honor and respect and love for Dave. He encountered some things, you know, in his childhood growing up, and he made some decisions that made life a little harder, and I can relate to that. I can definitely relate to that. But you know what? I like it when he came out of prison and he, he kind of, you know, he used his prison time to educate himself, to learn a trade. He used that time where he sent that kite in. He took that step and said, I need some help. And he, he had to humble himself. And sometimes sometimes the turnaround in our life is contingent on our, our ability to humble ourselves. And that's why you'll see some, some good people, some great Christians, that aren't growing anymore because they're not ever going to be humble enough to admit that they need to go to another level. And there's some things, there's some things that need to be improved. You know, I, I was watching Black Panther, and uh, we all know that Chadwick passed away last week. And I watched the the TV airing of Black Panther, and it was really neat when he was standing there talking to his sister. And she said, I need these these EMPs back because I need to make some improvements. And he said, why? They work fine. And she laughed at him and said, "When it, basically, when are you going to learn that just because something is working fine doesn't mean it can't be improved? And I love that. That's a growth mindset. You know, and a fixed mindset is when we think everything's fine. That's a fixed mindset. We don't need to make any improvements, any changes. But Dave didn't do that. He had a growth mindset. He wanted to be something and somebody, and he knew things needed to change. So he sent that kite in. For those of you who don't know what a kite is, in prison it's just a, it's just our inmates, the inmates' way of, of uh, sending mail or information or correspondence to the administration. So he sent that kite in, requested some help, and he began to get it. You know, and, and he didn't make it his first time. He had some bumps in the road. He had some challenges, and and man, but he didn't give up. He didn't give up, and even when he got out, he humbled himself and went to work as a fill-in. He wasn't even he wasn't even part time. He wasn't even on a part time schedule. He just filled in. You know, so if nobody called in that day, then he didn't work. And you gotta you gotta have some a really good mindset to to agree to doing that, you know, because I know most guys are like, no, there's not enough hours. I want to go, I want to go find something more permanent. And so he just, he stayed the course. 
and you know he he kind of took some took some you know maybe ribbing or questioning or doubting from his brother and just took it with a grain of salt you know and I understand that too uh, with family and so but he moved forward and he began to share some ideas and go with it and started a company that is just incredible and I love all the stories he, he, he told he's got so many stories we could have talked for three hours but and y'all know I would have done that too but I, I needed to let him go but anyway just a great guy great story and you know all the way up to the selling of the company he, he sold it it's public knowledge but he sold it for 297 million dollars so it wasn't chump change but I'd be willing to bet if he if he wasn't making those mistakes and putting himself in a position like he did then he probably could have got a lot more for the for the uh, for the company so but he, either way now he's pouring back he's giving back he's not just sitting on that money he's giving back and I just appreciated his time, his energy, his effort, and uh, go to go to the website, davedahl.com, and uh, also visit, like he said, we'll have all these websites, his website, Constructing Hope um, website on there, and maybe we'll have a link to how you can buy the book and, and, and see the documentary, but just a, just a great man doing great things, and uh, hopefully we'll maybe have him back on one day to tell some of the stories we didn't have time to tell, but hey, listen, thanks. Thanks for um, thanks for listening to this episode. I really appreciate it. And uh, if you haven't listened to any of the other episodes, go listen to Carl Sherman, which was last week. And, man, I tell you what, one that's really getting a lot of downloads and hits is the Life Giving Life, the Recovery Center one with, with the two ladies, uh, Jamie and, um, and Miss Canton, Rachelle. So that one's getting – but it's got some powerful stories on there. My goodness. Uh, all these are great stories. Uh, next week, I think I think we're going to have uh, an organization called Anticipate Joy. And these two ladies, Veronica Tetterton, Dr. Veronica Tetterton and, and Carla Evans, they both uh, were counselors in federal prisons. So we're going to talk about the emotional side of, of solitary confinement. We're going to talk about how incarceration impacts you know, our psyche and, and, uh, and it's going to be a great episode. So make sure you're watching. Listen, don't forget about North Texas giving day. We really need your help on September 17th. And even before you can give early, if you can't give that day, you can give early. And, uh, so go to forgivenfelons.org. uh, click on that link in the show notes, no matter what you're watching or listen to this, uh, platform you're listening to from, it should have a link in there to say, please visit the show notes. And that'll take you to the, to the webpage for our show notes and we'll have all the links on there the north texas giving day links all the links for dave Dahl. again thank you share the heck out of this podcast please share it we got some really good stories coming up again and i can't wait i can't wait to share all these stories with you but um but i need your help to spread the word if you listen on apple can you leave a review rate us give us a one star two star three star four star whatever uh but give us a rating and then and then review it and just tell tell everybody else what this podcast or that particular episode or the podcast in general mean, means to you. So don't forget, visit the website if you need us. If you have a loved one in prison who needs a place to parole, give us a call. Or if you have somebody who just needs some hygiene and food and clothes, give us a call. All right. Hey, uh, let's say a quick prayer for Dave. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that we had the opportunity to... Uh, spend time with Dave Dahl. We thank you for his journey. 
We just speak life into him. We speak life into all the all the organizations that he's working with. We uh, we speak salvation. We speak uh, hope, and 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 anything else that he needs. We speak provision, and anything he needs. And we we speak over nucleus and constructing hope, and we just speak over his family. And we ask you to bless him, give him the breakthrough they need physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially. And uh, and once again, we thank you for allowing us to be able to sit down and talk with him and let him share his story. Give him everything he needs and bless everyone who's listening to this right now who thinks that there's no hope. Give them hope. Let them know you care, you love them, they matter, and that they can make it. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast brought to you by Forgiven Felons. Helping people with the past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.